From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. This is Real Talk, a new podcast series where we're going to break down the stigmas and feelings of embarrassment and talk openly and honestly about just how difficult breast cancer can be. From diagnosis to treatment to living with metastatic breast cancer to life after treatment ends. September is Hispanic Heritage Month. Breast cancer is the most common form of cancer among Latinas today, and I'm pleased to welcome two women who can help break down the cultural and personal stigmas about breast cancer in the Latina community. Ashley Fernandez and Brenda Nelson are also living with metastatic breast cancer, the most advanced stage of breast cancer that cannot be cured. They've both felt that making friends in a new community has been hard, and they didn't want to overshare about their lives, but also wanted to be genuine and form new friendships. Ashley and Brenda, thank you for joining us today to share your experiences and talk about personal barriers that you've had to overcome, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for having us, Adam. Well, this is a really important conversation. We'd love to start by uh, just getting to know the two of you. So, so Brenda, why don't you start by telling us about your breast cancer diagnosis and how you're doing today? And then Ashley, we'd love to hear from you as well. Hello. So yes, um, in October, I was not feeling well and ended up in the ER. They ran some tests. They found out that um, I had something going on. They weren't quite sure what it was, but my liver was covered in tumors. So that's what got the ball rolling. I ended up getting a referral to MD Anderson and they did their testing and uh, pretty quickly. Uh, my second day there, I was told that I had a stage four metastatic breast cancer and it was attacking my liver. So Right away, we started chemotherapy. I was admitted because my liver was so sick. Uh, they had to monitor me through the chemo. So I was admitted and um, we uh, started treatment. And of course, I felt like I was on a roller coaster uh, with eyes tightly shut and just, you know, the grip of life. And uh, just, there was no time for crying, asking why me, why Lord, nothing like that. It was like, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's get the ball rolling. Now that we know what we're dealing with, let's go. So um, I started my treatment and of course there's ups and downs in and out of the hospital, but my last scan shows that I have uh, no uh, liver cancer metastasis anymore or any metastasis in my body. So every 21 days, I got, I uh, think, 12 uh, chemo rounds, and every 21 days, I go for antibodies. So every 21 days, it's antibodies, every three months, scans. So I celebrate in 21-day increments. <laughs> yes, yeah, so my last scan was good, and um, we're going to celebrate that. That's fantastic. And Ashley, how about your story? Hey, Brenda, that's so awesome. Um, so I was diagnosed at 31, same like Brenda, de novo, like it was stage four from the beginning. And that was in April of 2018. So I had just, I just hit five years. So that's a big milestone to celebrate too. Yeah. Um, so my story kind of started off. Um, my husband's in the military, so we moved around a lot. We were in Alaska and I felt like 
a little lump, but I didn't know if it was a lump. I went to the doctor just to make sure. And I kind of got made to feel like I was a hypochondriac because there was nothing there. I was too young for cancer and all these other things. That was October. And then in March, my body started hurting. And I went back and the lump was no longer there. But I finally got someone to listen to me after advocating and going to patient um, advocacy. They helped me out. And I was able to get a diagnosis. We found out that, yes, it was breast cancer. And when I started telling the oncologist about, like, my other body aches, they performed a bone scan. And I looked like a Christmas tree because I lit up from my head to my toes. So I'm living with triple positive metastatic breast cancer, BOMETs, extensive BOMETs. I get scans every three months. I just graduated to every six months after five years, and I'm pretty excited about that. But like you, Brenda, it is a roller coaster ride, and I love how you explained it. You just hold on tight and close your eyes. I, too, never asked why. I just wanted to get through it because I had a three-year-old who's about to be nine. So I'm just so happy to still be here and able to celebrate little milestones, big milestones, and lots of mile markers in between. And just enjoying every single part of it. That's fantastic. And so what I'd love to do, if you don't mind, is, is I'd love for you to just both uh, start talking about your experience uh, as a Latina, receiving medical care. Uh, I'm obviously not a part of this community, so I'm, I'm going to stay out of your way, but I'd love for you to, to, to share if you would. Awesome. So Brenda, for you, was it hard like to get access to care? No, I, I was able to... Um... I was always able to see the doctor, but just like you, people thought I was a hypochondriac. I kept telling the doctors that I didn't feel well. I'm losing weight. Just randomly, I would lose 10, 15 pounds. Um, they would run my labs, say, your labs look great. Uh, and this is really crazy. Um, I would almost always bring my husband along because I felt like they would listen to me more if my husband was with me. Um, and I, I would always get the pat on the back. You need to go get massages. You need to, you know, take a break. You're working too hard. Uh, and started thinking myself, is this, am I a hypochondriac? Am I making this stuff up? And so I would work out, I eat right. And of course, when you work out, your energy goes up. So I'd be like, mm -hmm. okay, maybe that's what I needed was uh, be, more, be more proactive. Yeah. But now that I think back, um, it was my last doctor visit in, um, in Illinois that I told the doctor that I had pain around my back where my liver was located. And he was like, there's nothing there. And I said, my liver's there. And he said, I did your labs. They're fine. It's like, you just really need a massage, take a hot shower. And I, I just think, I, I feel that's when it went to my liver. I also, um, for years, got diagnostic mammograms, which are the mammograms where the physician's present. And I had to get them yearly because of dense breast tissue. And so there was no one in my family that had breast cancer. Uh, Same. No history of cancer. So I thought these yearly mammograms were like a little over the top because there was no 
cancer in the family. I had always heard Hispanics don't have breast cancer. That wasn't one of the ones that we would have. So why would I have it when no one in my family have it? has it? I also have four older sisters. Surely one of them would have gotten it before me. Um, but that's not the way it works. And uh, I was the first person in my family to get a cancer diagnosis. We have so many similarities. Mine too. Yeah. One of the youngest, 26 cousins, like seven aunts and uncles, like huge family. And I was the first one, no family history. Yeah. At the time of my diagnosis, well, my, my mother's still living, but my dad has passed away. Uh, but at the time he was still alive. All his siblings were still alive. 80s, late 80s. Um, my mother's side also. Uh, all still living. Like healthy for the most part. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> Number uh, baby of five girls with uh, this diagnosis that also is really hard for everyone in my family to wrap their head around because they've never dealt with it. They've never had wow. someone that's close to them to get a diagnosis. I'm so glad you said that. Like most of the time, Hispanics and Latinos, like our family units, everything, right? Mm -hmm. We support each other and we're there through thick and thin. So it's hard when something like this hits because yeah, it's happening to us, but it hits all of them in a different kind of way. And everybody deals with it in different ways. I've seen where uh, some of my siblings want to be on top of it, know everything, and others, it's too hard. They don't want to, they, I, I sometimes think, well, if we don't talk about it, you think it doesn't exist, but it does. And I have to deal with this. And it's like you said, it's a uh, stage four. It's the last stage, um, metastatic. I'm a registered nurse also. So oh, wow. when I was told stage four, um, you know, it was like, okay, is it, you know, you just think, okay, do I need to get things? What do I need to get in order? I have, uh, I had a 14 year old at home, um, one that was about to graduate college, a 22 year old, his senior year. And then my daughter that had just recently been married and was living up North because she found her happily ever after while we were up there. So she stayed, we came home, Texas is our home. And, um, yeah. So it was like, what do you do? And I didn't know of all the treatments um, that are available. I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But I so we live on, yours has been longer. Mine's still a little fresh. I haven't hit my year. And so I'm living on 21-day celebration. Increments. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still doing that five years in. So when you said that, I was like, yeah, because you have to be in the present. And as long as we're being intentional with our time, intentional with the present, I feel like that really, really helps. I do the same exact thing. I get treatment every 21 days. So my days are on Wednesdays and I do the same exact you do. As soon as I go for my treatment, I celebrate because yay, I was able to do it. I thank God right. that I'm still here. You know, like I just praise him, but also I celebrate time with my family or my husband takes me out or like this week, my husband's gone because he's. And my mom's coming home with me and she'll be doing treatment with me and we'll go have a girl's day. We'll probably hit the beach the day before. But I do the same exact thing. I just celebrate little wins and they're like little big wins. So for, there was a time when I couldn't walk because I was so sick. Like my fatigue got the best of me. I had 
tumors in my lungs that disappeared. Like I've witnessed so many miracles and the research has gotten so much better from when I first started in 2018. It's just, I just keep thinking God, like, let me hold on. So if something happens, there's more. But since I've been in active treatment, I was able to change treatment because I caught sepsis through my port. And the treatment that I changed to was just approved by the FDA like two weeks after I caught my sepsis. Like what? And it's a shot now. So it's called the sub-Q and it just goes, instead of sitting there for 90 minutes, you get a shot and you're in and out in 10 minutes. So I got back some quality of life too. So that's a little bit of hope too because yes, because researchers are just doing it and they're taking into account that, hey, we matter. They're taking our voices and as long as we continue to advocate for research, I feel like more and more is just going to keep coming. And I'm really hopeful that one day, one day, like there'll be more treatment options that we could just live and be happy and necessarily, maybe, I don't know if we'll get a cure cure, but at least it'll be like a chronic illness and not right. like this death sentence, even though I don't like to look at it that way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like you. I, I see, um, I wrote my story out and I call it pink light. And I, every time I say pink light is when I feel the Lord has intervened for me. And that was just huge for, um, for this whole roller coaster ride is, uh, the anxiety that I lived with and would go to the doctor for, cause I'd say, I don't feel good. Something's not right. And, um, in fact, it was probably two weeks before my diagnosis. I had one of my worst panic attacks. And I remember having to call my husband and telling him, okay, just stay on the phone with me until I get home. But I really now think my body was trying to signal me and tell me something's not right here. And it's getting really bad because uh, it was the worst one I had had. And we sort of like, it's so interesting now, even with this diagnosis, I don't have the anxiety at all that I used to have. It's a piece of overwhelming, isn't it? Yes. it's, And I try to tell people that, um, in fact, I have lost a friend probably six months uh, to cancer. And I remember talking to her and asking her how she was keeping it together because I said I would be a basket case. And she said, you know, I'm not scared to die. And I, at the time, I didn't understand what she was talking about. After yeah. my diagnosis, the peace that overcame me was overwhelming. I mean, the doctors and the nurses, everybody came in and they're looking at my husband and I like, are y'all going to like break down or, and I just, told him, um, I didn't want to see the scans. I walked by faith, not by sight. And we're going to get this figured out. I don't know what's going on, but he knows what's going on and I'm going to trust him. And so that's how I've walked this with the piece that it's clear. It surpasses all understanding. And yes. I'm very thankful for it. Yes, I am. Ooh, I love that. I feel the same exact way. I think um, it hit me three days later. It hit me three days later after I was diagnosed and I got that thing. I got the call and we were in Alaska. There was no family there. We were on our way to move to Japan. And it was just a lot of moving pieces at once. And I remember the third day, I didn't cry. I didn't say anything. And I just fell to my knees. And I was like, hey, Lord, 
I can't do this by myself. Like I need you to take it and intervene and just help me. And I swear, Brenda, from that day, it's like, Boop. can't walk. Oh man, that sucks. Oh, you're in the hospital. Man, that stinks. Okay, God, come on. But he always comes through. Like there's been more lows. There's been more highs than lows, but there's been some real bad lows. Right. And one of the ones that I have a hard time with is like quality of life. Because when I feel good, I want to do everything. And I have a little kid. So then I try to go, 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 go. But then my energy tank isn't go, 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 go. So that I'm paying for it for like three days later. And it's like, okay, I need to figure out how to disperse this energy. But then I started going to a thing called palliative care. Mm -hmm. And as a nurse, that word scares me. That's like palliative care. And when I was told that, that we're just trying to do this, you're not going to be scared. When you hear palliative care, you think, oh, it's hospice or we're just trying to make you comfortable. Yeah. No. So what they do is they treat all the symptoms that chemo puts us in, all the treatments. They have special psychologists that you can talk to. They have like, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling like you want to work on muscle mass, they have special OTs and PTs, physical therapists that can work through it. And that has been a game changer for me. I've been in that for three years now, and I feel like my life has just improved so much. Right now, I moved from Ohio to North Carolina, and I'm having a hard time getting access to that um, because like you or like others, people think when you're asking for palliative care, you're done. But for me, it's not giving up. For me, it's like, hey, it's helping me, and I know what I gained from it, so I want it. And my oncologist right now is kind of like, oh, but you're not there yet. Yes, I am. I am there yet. I might not look like it, but I'm there. So I'm going to need you to put that referral in. Right. So that's what I'm working on right now, like having access to care again. And I feel like sometimes because I'm younger, I get dismissed. And also I'm a positive person. So I won't come at you like super rude, but I'm pretty firm. And it, I don't know. I think I feel like I found my voice. I found my voice a lot. And I just try to use it to help myself and then help others with it as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because I've heard that word and I'm like, I, I do sort of in nursing when we hear that, we're just, we're just trying to make them comfortable, have their best life as long as they can. But you were saying something about the energy level. I was yes. like, go, 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 go. In fact, me too. Before getting diagnosed, I had COVID for the first time and my husband had it and it knocked him out. I was, I was uh, mopping, disinfecting, going uh, in the backyard to get sunshine. And um, so when they told me that my liver enzymes were slightly elevated in the hospital, that's why they ran the, um, they were going to see if it was gallbladder issues, but they saw okay. the tumors on my liver. Uh, we were like, well, I just had COVID. So, and we didn't think it was a big deal. And, but they went from slightly to, uh, multiplied. Yes. Very quickly. So, um, I think that's hard for people to understand your energy level when they're used to seeing you go, go, go work, 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 do, do, do. And then now you're at a point where you have to decide, do I want to go to the grocery store or do I just order online? Because it's going to take all my energy. Um, 
I ride in those little carts and I get the craziest looks. Really? Yeah, See, like I ride in those little I ride in I have somebody carts. go with me just to stand by me while I'm pushing. Once it gets too heavy, I'm like, okay, it's yours. <laughs> I can't yeah. push it anymore. But yeah, it's having people understand that we're making it. We got a good report last time, but Yes, you did. We're still tired. We're still we we're still dealing with a a chronic illness. And we hope that it stays chronic, but we have to take care of ourselves and really decide yeah. how to use our energy. So it's really uh, interesting to hear that. From if you, you ever decide to go to palliative care, they have resources for you. There's different things that you can do and there's medication. I'm not one for medication, but I finally just said, okay, hook me up, please. So I take like um, an upper and it gives me energy just enough so it's like a low dose like five milligrams and it gives me enough to get me through the day with my daughter so i'll take my first dose at 8 a.m and that gives me a pretty good dose until i pick her up at two and that gets me all the way until bedtime and it's really nice because before i was kind of like a couch potato mom and i really want to be interactive i want to be hands-on like i want her to remember me for me <laughs> not just but then like, as you said, you said you have children too. Like, how are they doing with this? Because my little girl is struggling right now with our recent move. How's, how are your kids doing? So my son that still is with us at home, I think it hit him the hardest because he had, he had to see me lose my hair. I got very thin. Uh, talk about yeah. a couch potato. You pretty much, I still work. So I worked on my laptop while vegged out. Um, but he threw himself, we had just moved to the community. So we didn't know anybody except for my husband had a cousin that was a godsend, uh, cause she set up the meals. Um, the people from his school all volunteered to oh. come pick him up, drop him off. Uh, while we went to treatment or while my husband was working, it was amazing to watch. I just felt like God's hand was all over it. We didn't know the people dropping off our meals. I had never met them, but they were consistent in bringing those meals to us. And I had an aunt and uncle that came and stayed with us. And uh, one of our trips to go get treatment, they hospitalized me. As you're saying, we're like waiting for those labs to see if we can get the treatment. Yes, every day. Yeah, you have to make sure that yeah. your counts are good. Yeah, there's so much that goes into it that I don't think people understand. You have to go see if your labs are good and then you have to wait on those. So that's a high anxiety day because even when you feel good, you're wondering, you know, are these labs going to be good? Yes, are these they call that scanxiety. It's like where you know you're getting testing. So your body's kind of like, oh, don't freak out. But you're still kind of freaking out. And you're like, why are you freaking out? You know what's going to happen. You're just going to sit there. You're going to get this thing. It should be done. I still get those. I just had scans three weeks ago and I was like, oh my God, come on. You're calm. You're the ocean. Wave. Relax. <laughs> yeah, I freaked out. And then you're waiting like the three days or two days for someone to read the report or sometimes it hits my chart before the doctor calls you. And I don't know about you, but I do not like opening my chart. I do not like to see that report. I, I just wait for that phone call and then it's like, 
Okay. And then I'll go and I'll read the specifics. But for me, like I'm not doing it without like that <laughs> forewarning personally, but I have some really good friends. Right. I haven't looked at any of the results of the scans. I will go look at labs now, but um, the scans, I'm still not brave enough to go and open them because I'm scared I'm going to see something that they didn't see or who knows what I'm, my fear is, but I'm like, no. So sometimes I'll tell my husband, uh, read that or so he does. I won't tell my daughter because my so daughter. Will I'm like your daughter. So when I was diagnosed, I went on to every single platform. <laughs> I did so much research. I stood up and I read so, so much and I learned so much about these terms, that terms, what's this, what's that? So then I went to the doctor and I had like stacks of questions, right? And it was like so much. I shouldn't, I overdid it. But at the same time, I was like, knowledge is power. But I was like, how much power do you need? I was, I was opposite. I didn't want to know. I just said, I don't want anybody to tell me mm -hmm. uh, that I have a certain amount of time. I'm not going to look up. I told all my kids, do not yeah, look, don't look this at the diagnosis medium. up. Uh, a lot of these people that are diagnosed with this are much older than I am. I got diagnosed at 50. And I'm not a statistic. I'm a child of the most high God. And we're just going to trust him. That's true. We're a statistic of one. So we don't fall into like that whole thing. Plus, I'm glad you said that about statistics. Because right. can we talk about more research for like our demographic? <laughs> Like the Hispanic community is so diverse. I think I find a lot of people are real uncomfortable yes. when you talk about it in, in the Hispanic community because they, I don't know if it's like breast cancer is the numbers are, are climbing up for our community. And so we don't have a lot of people that are used to the conversation, like some of my Caucasian friends that. They have, they've already been affected by it. Uh, they have a sibling that has it. Uh, but I think there's a lot of first in the Hispanic community. It also used to be taboo. Like you didn't used to discuss your problems with the outside world. Like the fact that I go on social media was kind of like, why are you telling everybody your business? But it's like, hey, I want to educate. But for us, it was a little taboo. I told you I was the first one and it was a shocker. Um hard conversations, but also I was kind of like, hey, don't cry because I know that I'm going to be good. I don't know how, but I just have this feeling that I'm going to be well. And, you know, we had this big party for five and it was like, yeah, like I made it every year we celebrate because it's like, hmm, it's like another birthday for me. Hmm. You want to bring me a present? Why not? <laughs> no, but I'm definitely going to yeah. have a cake. My favorite are snow cones. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't really have taste buds. They don't work anymore. Food doesn't taste the same. So I just like sweet and salty. So as long as we have sweet and salty at my celebration, I'm winning. But now that I made this five-year mark, mm. I'm like, okay, God, what else can I do? Like, what else are we going to be able to do? How else can I help? How else can I use my voice to change? How can I help, like, our community? How can I help people with us? So that's really cool that we get to do this today. Yes, I think sharing your story is incredible because uh, I didn't really know people with uh, breast cancer and I've moved to a new community. And uh, as you were saying, you know, it's hard. How much do you share? Because I really don't know a whole lot about uh, it's almost like 
you meet people, but nobody has your exact diagnosis and your your makeup. So you're listening to yes. other stories yes. for hope. And then there's so many different types of breast cancer. So many types that I never knew about as a nurse. Everybody, you hear somebody say they had breast cancer, you just thought, oh, it's breast cancer. But when uh, they told me, I was like, okay, when am I going to have my surgery? Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for surgery. And they were like, oh, there's not going to be any surgery. Your, uh, your breast cancer has already metastasized. We don't see any. Did that hurt your heart? Because that kind of stung my heart. Like It was kind of like, oh. <gasps> What do you mean I don't qualify? Like, why wouldn't we just take them off? Like, if they're in there and something's bothering me, like, why, why not? Please take them. <laughs> yeah, it did. It was hard. It was hard because I was, um, it's almost, it's just another it's so reality bad. that it's metastatic breast cancer. And, um, you know, yes. we're, we're, for a long time, though, we're living time. 21 day increments. <laughs> And so, uh, for a long, long, long time. Yes. Yes. But you were asking about my kids. So, uh, my son, I think threw himself in school in sports. He was doing everything. It was really hard on my son that was going to school in Indiana because he wasn't here and he wanted to be here to help and he couldn't be. And then my daughter had just got married, was a teacher. Uh, but the Lord is good because her, she knew it was going to be her last year to teach in Minnesota. So she did um, substitute teaching at the school that she was at. They just told her, you know, show up every day. We'll put you somewhere. So even though it was full time, she was able to come and be with me um, whenever she needed to be. She wasn't, you know, strapped down to a job. So uh, it was like those things I could just see how the Lord was already working ahead of us. Your stories are amazing. I, I did I did want to make sure we caught kind of the last question here, kind of about that whole moving, making friends, you know, trying to get connections to new people and in the midst of kind of all of the 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 stuff. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So moving for us has sucked this year. I'm gonna be completely honest. Um, as I said before, my husband Carlos is in the Air Force, so we move every three to four years. Um, this last move, well, the move before this was from Alaska, from Alaska to Ohio, and I got to move to Ohio because we did a move called a humanitarian, which meant it would put us closer to our family. So we were only five hours from Chicago, which is where my whole family is. And this last move was heartbreaking. It was actually really, really hard. It just happened like end of December. And they moved us to North Carolina. It's been an adjustment because we were really rooted in Ohio. Not only were we rooted, we were five hours from home. So if we needed anything, like my daughter got to be around her cousins for the first time. And, you know, she was there for four years. So she really got to form those bonds. And then we kind of took her away from that. And it's been a struggle. As far as meeting new people, we're in an Air Force base. So people are kind. But it's hard to make genuine friends because do you tell them like, oh, hey, yeah, I have this. Usually I just say, oh, yeah, so I'm living. I get treatment every 21 days. And they're like, oh, OK. And then once I feel them out, I can be a little bit more honest. But most of the time when people find out it's stage four, they're kind of weird. They're still kind. 
you're just not getting those invites anymore. So I just try to be really, really, really like, just use my discernment and be like, hey, is this like a safe person to tell everything to? Should I not? But also if you Google me or if you even try to like look at my Instagram, my Facebook, anything, you can see what I'm living with and what I do. And so it's just a matter of like whatever they decide to do with it. But for the most part, I'm just me and I just try my best to be kind and be honest, but I'm also not gonna like dim my own light just for somebody to like me. I think that's been, that's interesting, Ashley, because um, I have struggled with, um, I w- I've always done Facebook, Instagram. I'd even mm-hmm. just given my um, my dog her own Instagram because she's so cute. Stop <laughs> it. Yeah, right before. And now it's, it's, um, I, I, I'm like struggling with how much do I share? Cause I felt like people were like waiting for me to die, uh, because yes. you have seen before. And, uh, so it was like, how much do I share? How much do I not share? And finally I just did a caring bridge and put my story on there. So that way it wasn't in front of people who didn't want to see it or couldn't handle the emotion of, mm-hmm. oh, I'm good for 21 days. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but that's awesome that you're sharing yours. I know that earlier this, uh, this past week I was, or this past week I was like, man, I wish I would have recorded because you just don't, you're, oh. you're so thick. You're so weak. I have hair falling out in my food waking up with my pillow covered in hair or shampooing and you just have hair. That's because I like cut it really short. Um, then going to a completely bald head. Um, yeah. I wish I would have, would have documented more of that, but I have the same wish. I have the same wish. I wish I would have documented more. So then I could have showed people like, look how far I've came. Like there's this, this, like I have pictures and stuff, but I wish I would have did more of like a blog. Yes. A vlog. I think they're called vlogs. Vlog. Yes. Yeah. So uh, my husband took a few pictures, but he's by far not a good photographer. <laughs> it would be me like all crazy in the bed. <laughs> yeah. I do feel that social media connects us though. So even though I haven't been able to meet friends like locally, I have a big, big support system online due to like the metastatic breast cancer groups and just like different conferences that I attend. If you ever want to get into any of that, Brenda, keep my messages and we can find something together. Um, Yeah, the conferences I attend and just the support groups, the advocacy work I do, like going to DC and walking, like all those things. I've met some really, really amazing friends. The heartache with that is, is that they pass away because they're living with the same thing as us, right? But for some people that can be really hard. For me, it's just another reason why we need to like continue to work for change. We need to continue to ally and use our voice for the voiceless. Um, but those connections are life-changing and they make me feel connected to something more. And not only that, it's like people that get it, right? Like I understand what you're saying about your hair. I can talk to my mom and my best friends about that and they're empathetic and they understand and they hold space for me, but they don't get it. They want to get it, but they just don't. So I think that's why those relationships mean so much more. And they're so empowering because I'm in a new state, but I don't feel alone. Even though I haven't connected with people where I'm living, I still feel okay. Like I'm not lonely. I'm okay. Yeah. 
And that's really, really beautiful to know that no matter where you're at, you have common ground with somebody and not just somebody as like anybody, like I've met different Hispanics, say I've met different things. And it's really nice because you're able to walk alongside buddy, someone like you're able to like take newly diagnosed people. Like if I would have known you or met you online, like I would have just been checking in on you and making sure that you're okay and that you know you're not alone because in this community, no one is ever alone. If you want to be found, like, please reach out. Somebody wants to walk this with you. We're not just like, oh, hey, we're the advocates and you're not. Like, no, we want to make sure that you have everything you need to be successful through this. And if you want somebody to cry to you, like, who better to cry to than somebody that's been there, that's already cried possibly or has worked through it, prayed through it, anything. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the metastatic breast cancer community. Like, yeah, we're going through like this horrible disease, but there's so much beauty in it because of how we just protect each other and lift each other and just rally against one another. And that that's a beautiful thought and, and probably a good way for us to to finish this conversation. Um, th- just listening to your dialogue and your experiences has been uh, been humbling. And also encouraging. And I I just, I really can't thank you enough for joining us on the show today and just sharing your lives with us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Adam. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.